God is so worthy of our worship. Amen? He is victorious. And as we just sang about, there is so much that happens when we really believe and we begin to follow Jesus. And he gives us victories and things to celebrate. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the fact that yesterday was a pretty big victory here. We had uh, about 600 people that came to our Skit Guys night. Uh, really fun night, 90 minutes of laughter and uh, just joy. But underneath that was the fact that that's our volunteer appreciation night. We had about 200 of our volunteers at the event last night. And if you weren't able to make it, we just want to say thank you for volunteering and serving at Pathway. Can we give all our volunteers a hand? Um, we couldn't be who we are or do what we do if it wasn't for the ways that so many of you show up and use your gifts and serve the Lord. And uh, so we just, again, say thank you. Uh, yesterday was also one of those days that reminds you of the highs and lows just in life and, and what we live in. Um, some of you saw the news yesterday afternoon and the fact that uh, the nation of Israel is, is now in a war and uh, was attacked and has responded. And so I felt that we absolutely needed to pray over that. Uh, it is something that, uh, if you know scripture, uh, there is God's special blessing and hand on the nation of Israel. Uh, the borders are no longer physical in the sense that through Jesus, Jew and Gentile, they're welcomed into the kingdom. Uh, but we want to pray for Israel this morning and what is happening there and the leadership uh, for such a time as this. Scripture teaches that leaders are, uh, rise and fall according to God's purposes. And we have to believe that our world right now is in a significant moment and we need to pray and, and believe that God is going to use this leadership in our world right now for his purposes. Amen? So let's just uh, pray over that together. Father, we uh, just pray for the nation of Israel. We thank you that uh, scripturally we know that there is a people that have set apart by you, your special possession, that through your son Jesus, it's expanded to Jew and Gentile. And we want to call out and pray for your hand and blessing and protection over the nation of Israel today, Father. We pray for the leadership uh, there, here, across the world, as world leaders figure out in this moment in time uh, what needs to happen. And we pray for the preservation of life. We pray for protection against terror and the attacks of the enemy. And we just ask that, Father, you would orchestrate good and, and a visible, even visible signs of your light and your son Jesus showing up and making yourself known through this conflict. God, we thank you. And we agree in prayer. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. 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 Uh, so in addition to that, God has been working in some other ways over the last 16 months here. Some of you know that uh, for about 16 months, we've had two vacancies uh, on staff. And uh, by God's grace, I've been able to fill some of those gaps. Some of our other leadership has been able to fill those. Back in June, we announced that uh, we have a new associate pastor of ministries, Pastor Zorro and his family, that will be joining us fully in Jan. Isn't that a great name, by the way, Zorro? It's the best. You're going to love him and his family. Uh, he'll be here in a couple weeks to visit for a week. You'll get to hear from him. And then he officially starts in uh, January. And uh, in addition to that, we have an associate pastor of administration that I get to announce to you today. Uh, N.L. Moore, uh, our search firm partner that we've worked with on both hires, uh, helped us find Dan and Sally Delaney. Here's their picture. Uh, Dan is from Cottage Grove, uh, Minnesota. Uh, he actually is going to be starting October 29th, just in a few weeks. And uh, y'all, that means my life is going to change radically. Uh, I cannot wait for him to be here and me to go here. <laughs> 
here's all the stuff. And, uh, you know, God has uniquely prepared him. Uh, he's been around ministry and serving for more than 20 years, seven years in uh, particular with a church with multi-sites, uh, larger environment than ours. And as he stepped in there, some of the challenges and, and growth that we have ahead, he's already been there and has the experience to know uh, what God can do. And it's uh, super encouraging. We want you to hear just for a minute from Dan and Sally, their hearts, and then I'll pray over that and pray us into the word. So here's a video from Dan and Sally. Hey, Pathway, I'm Dan Mullaney, and this is my wife, Sally. I'm so excited to join the team as a new associate pastor of administration. So we're here in Cottage Grove, Minnesota, um, transitioning between summer and fall. And as we begin to pull out our long sleeve shirts and jackets, we get really excited about apple orchards and pumpkins. But ultimately, we really just love the outdoors, whether it's pickleball, hiking, biking, running, um, or just sitting out on the patio. Uh, and we really love to spend time with our two daughters and our four wonderful grandchildren. I like uh, hiking in the mountains as well as spending time with family. Uh, really enjoyed that, those activities. We are really honored uh, to be called by God to Pathway Church. Uh, we look forward to seeing what he has planned as well as how he's going to move in the church. So a couple weeks ago, um, we had the opportunity to attend a service at Pathway and we we're so amazed by the movement of the Holy Spirit, and we are really um, looking forward to um, being able to continue in that. Yeah, we'll see you at the end of October. I'm really excited about uh, getting to meet you all, as well as uh, building strong working relationships. And we'll see you soon. Isn't that great? So we're excited for them and for us. Uh, they actually, uh, that was shot a couple weeks ago. They were actually here last weekend, house shopping. They found a home already, and uh, God is just moving. So we're excited. I'm going to pray over them, and then I'm going to pray over us uh, as we get into God's word today. Uh, it's a significant moment as we talk about kingdom living and the particular message today. And I, I'll just set this up now. Uh, this message is PG-13. Uh, as we look at the topic of love over lust, parents, I just want you to be aware, it's an important topic, but if they're under 13, that's up to you. Uh, we just want you to be aware. So you could transition them to kids ministry if needed, or you could sit in here and have a really fun lunch conversation later. <laughs> God's word is awesome. And uh, it's going to be, I think, a good morning. Uh, let me pray us in. Father, we love you and thank you. Uh, we thank you so much uh, for your calling on Pastor Zorro and Kimberly and their kids and on Dan and Sally. God, it's uh, been a process in walking and discerning and seeing you move. And we just thank you for the way you have worked. Uh, we pray that as both families relocate over the next few months and Dan and Sally over the next few weeks, uh, that you would prepare the way, provide, protect, and use them in a mighty way here as we as a church continue to grow with you and grow into the next season. Father, as we turn to your word, uh, that is what we just want to do, is turn our attention let go of distractions, let go of anything else to just hear and receive from you. So I pray that our minds, our hearts would be open and receptive, that we would be good soil, that you would be heard, that I would be hidden, that it would be your spirit coming forth with power. We thank you. Everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. amen. 
Amen. So there are uh, quite a few notes for today. Here's a slide for that that just gets you there. I want you to know my heart behind this. There are notes available every week. If you ever want my notes, like what I actually have in front of me, uh, it's a lot less than you probably think. Uh, but I am happy if you email us to send those to you. Um, I would rather them sit with us and work on us uh, because it's all about life change and life transformation when we're following Jesus. Amen. So today, as we lean into this, this idea of love over lust, uh, when you think about this or that, often life presents us with those kind of choices, right? There's this or there's that, and, and we get used to making choices. You know, let me just take that for a moment and have a little fun with it, this or that. Uh, you know, would you rather have bad, a bad haircut or a bad dye job, right? This or that. Would you rather have pineapple pizza or candy corn? Ketchup or ranch? Depends on what you're eating, right? Some of you put ketchup on everything. It's weird. Uh, phone in the bathroom or no phone in the bathroom? Now we're really getting to know each other, right? Crunchy peanut butter or smooth peanut butter? I kind of heard a mixture. First service was definitely smooth. Uh, I, I'm a crunchy guy myself, okay? Now, here's the thing. When life is always presenting us with this or that and choices, Jesus, on the other hand, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is where we're studying right now for kingdom living, he doesn't really give us choices. He often is saying it's not an or, it's an over. That, that actually you once thought this, but I wanna show you something that's over that and even better. And it's not really a choice as much as an invitation and a command to those that follow Jesus. Uh, let me show you because in Matthew chapter five, picking up in verse 27, we see the second of six really difficult topics that Jesus addresses. And as he does this, we're just gonna dive right in in verse 27. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus doesn't hold back, does he? And the reality is what he's trying to do is, I believe, help us to see how sin keeps us from what God really has for us. The word sin is not a popular word in, in modern church circles, let alone in our world. Sin simply means, in many ways, missing the mark of God's intent. God is a holy God who says, here's my mark, here's my expectation, and sin is that gap where we, in our humanness and our fallibility, fall short. And so it's in that space that over the last couple of weeks in particular, there's a quote from the Puritan John Owen. Uh, he wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. In that book, there's actually a quote that it sounds like it's a modern day rap lyric, and it's phenomenal. I gotta show you this quote. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. That is truth that we need to hear because God invites us to understand that there's things in our life that he wants to remove so that we can grow. And the reality is sin 
is often a downward destructive spiral. If we don't deal, allowing God to say, hey, this is off in your life, or another brother or sister to say, hey, here's an issue I see in your life, if we don't allow that, sin will ultimately end up killing us. Now, growth, I'm not a horticulturist, but I watched a YouTube video this week. You ready? Here you go. This is a picture of uh, somebody pruning a rose bush. And as I watched this, I realized like in many ways, those of us that garden or know how to do this, uh, you, you know that with a rose bush, you remove the leaves and the dead things. And, and then as you do that, you begin to, as I watched the YouTube video, uh, cut away at a 45 degree different branches and stems. And, and ultimately you might even remove some buds because those things need to be removed for it to really grow and be healthy. Can you see the correlation? There are things in our life that the Lord needs to cut out. And Jesus addresses one, this issue of lust, that really is this heart issue. And, and that's what he's getting at, is there's something going on in our hearts that he wants to, to change and to shift that love would be over lust. That we wouldn't be a people captivated and swept up in the culture around us. If you're taking notes, we live in an era that we need to be able to name the truth about. Jesus invites us out of destructive cultural lies and into life-giving truth. Jesus invites us into life-giving truth. And I want to take a moment and expose three of the destructive cultural lies that are all around us right now. And the way I'm going to do that, there's a book by Carl R. Truman. Carl uh, wrote it uh, in the last couple years. I read it about a year ago. It's called A Strange New World. And, and what he does in there is he exposes how the, the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s has led us into this place today that many of us look around and go, what is happening? This is strange. This is not normal. Anybody? Okay, y'all, you think I'm uncomfortable? I already did this once. Okay. <laughs> It's going to get super awkward today. And I'm going to stare at you. You're going to stare at me. We're going to love each other through it. And God's word is going to prevail because it is the truth. So as we get into these lies, I want to point out three that Carl points out. And rather than quote the lie, I'm quoting him because he's telling the truth. So, so the first is authenticity. We live in a culture right now that values authenticity. The idea is my truth is the truth and must be affirmed. Anybody? Carl says this, in short, the modern self is the one where authenticity is achieved by acting outwardly in accordance with one's inward feelings. That actually in an effort to be authentic, we begin to idolize and value our feelings, and that's a lie. Feelings are not to be given that much value. Mutual consent is the second one, another destructive cultural lie. Consent creates the moral framework is the idea. You see, consent matters, but when we have bought into the belief that mutual consent sets in motion the moral framework, we miss what God's design is and what the Bible teaches. Here's what Carl says. He says, notice what the sexual revolution has done. It's brought us to the point where sexual acts in themselves are seen as having no intrinsic moral significance. It is the consent, or not, of those engaging in them that provides the moral framework. God provides the moral framework, not the mutual consent. Do you see the destructive lie? Come on, church. 
Don't leave me up here alone. Third, sexual happiness. Sexual desires are central, the world is telling us, to our identity. This one is playing out in a lot of ways right now. Carl, in his book, says for Freud, Sigmund Freud, uh, human nature is at its deepest level sexual and that human beings are therefore defined in a basic way by their sexual desires. When we add to this that Freud also saw that sexual desires existing from infancy, meaning the idea that we're born this way, the point is further reinforced. Our identities as human beings are in a very important sense fundamentally defined by our sexual desires, and he goes on to talk about unhappiness. This is a cultural lie in today's world. Come on, church. So, so what do we learn? Do we just not talk about it? No, no. I, I had a, a professor in seminary, Glenn Stassen, that wrote a great book on kingdom ethics. And he says this about this issue of sexual uh, restoration and what God can do. He says, sex matters because there is no aspect of human personhood that God does not seek to redeem. Isn't that good news? Or that does not uh, enter into redemption. God created us as sexual beings and had certain ends in mind for human sexuality. Human beings require stable, rightly ordered sexual relationships in order to flourish. This does not mean that all are called to physical sexual activity but that all are called to the expression of their God-given sexuality within the bounds of God's covenant will. That is God's design. And I want to give you three life-giving truths that go along with this. These are critical because if we've exposed the lies, we also need to celebrate the life-giving truth. Amen? So let me give you these three from God's word. The first, we are created for covenant. God has created you and I for a covenant relationship with him, and if we're married, a covenant relationship with our spouse. That is a significant gift that is different than a commitment or a contract that we find on earth. It's covenantal. We'll look a little bit more at that even next week, but for now, we are created for covenant. Here's what Malachi 2.10 says. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another? profaning the covenant of our fathers. Secondly, another life-giving truth, we are redeemed with a new identity, family and inheritance. Whatever we've been through, whatever we've done, God can redeem it. And he's the one that gives us a new identity, a new family of brothers and sisters to do life with, and even an inheritance that's different than what our earthly parents may have given us. Let me read it to you, Galatians 3, verse 26 through 29. It says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He is our first and foremost identity, Amen. Verse 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. God is a redemptive God that gives us a new identity, new brothers and sisters, which even changes how we look at the people around us, how we view our brothers and sisters as God's creation, created in the image of God. And we want to value them and love them in the same way that God does, amen? 
And that's the third life-giving truth is that we are actually redeemed by love for a life of love. Not love based on lies, not love based on what the world is trying to feed us, but real love. Listen to what 1 John 4, 7 through 12 says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world. This is the gospel, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the appropriation, the covering, that is, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is such good news. So we have destructive lies and life-giving truth. And there's this moment in scripture, the apostle Paul in Galatians 2 lays it out for us, that, that if you and I are actually gonna be a people that, that are redeemed by Jesus and live for him, things are gonna change. We're no longer living for ourselves. we're living for him. And these are foundational truths that help us to deal with any sin issue. Let me read to you Galatians 2, uh, verse 20 and 21. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose." If you're taking notes, new life with Jesus means that we live by faith in his grace and we grow in righteousness and right standing with him. Come on, church. You see, it isn't just a grace that shows up at the dinner table or at a meal where you say grace. Yeah, it's there. It's not just a grace when you receive Jesus and accept him into your life and you're born again as a new creation. Yeah, it's there, but it's also a grace that shows up in all of life, in all of the things we deal with. It's a grace that empowers us to actually not live for ourselves, or our flesh, but to live for Jesus and by the power of his spirit. This is why the apostle Paul was so clear that it's in his weakness that God's grace is strong. And it's when we can get honest about some of the things going on that that grace begins to show up and we begin to really grow in that right standing with God. That's the heart behind, I believe, what Jesus is revealing to us today and what he's wanting to show us. And so what I want to do is give you some practical tools, some things scripturally that I believe will help you leave lust in the dust. Oh yeah, here we go. You ready? So some steps to leaving lust in the dust is what we're going to look at. And I want you to think of it this way. In in first century Jewish culture, there was actually this saying among uh, the rabbis and and the students. It it was, may the dust of your rabbi cover you. And and the idea was that you would follow so close to your, your rabbi and teacher that literally as you walk, their dust is kicking up on you because you're so close And part of how we get free of anything, whether it's lust or something else, is by getting closer to Jesus, getting near. 
And it's as we get close to him that his dust kicks up and the other stuff we begin to leave in the past, in the back, in the rear. Y'all ready to leave some stuff in your dust? Okay. So the first one is revelation. The first one is this idea of revelation. And, and for some of us, it's just realizing like, wow, I didn't even know. I didn't even know that was an issue. So let me read to you again our core text for today. Verse 27 of Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body is uh, to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now it's actually, as he says, you've heard that it was said that Jesus is quoting the 10 commandments from Exodus chapter 20. And, and there's in the 10 commandments, four that are vertical, and then six that deal with how we love and treat others. It's actually uh, in verse 14 that we see what he was referring to. And it's very simple. He just says this, uh, that in fact, you shall not commit adultery. Now, a few verses later in verse 17, he says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So he takes this moment from adultery, and a few verses later, digs into our hearts and what we're coveting. And, and I would just say this, that obviously the main issue today is love over lust. We're looking at this issue of lust. But there's other things other than physical uh, lust for a person that may enter into our life. You may be lusting for power. You may be lusting for a job or for, and, and let's, let's give ourselves the freedom to acknowledge we live in a culture right now that every day is feeding us marketing and consumption to try to elicit within us desires for other things. Anybody notice this? And so we're swimming in it and sometimes it takes a revelation from God to begin to see it and to hear what he's asking and where he's leading us. And I hope that that's what God is doing in each of our hearts and lives today. Now, this revelation, I want to just, I, I can't ignore that if we're talking about lust, I got to deal with pornography. Y'all ready? Yeah. It's a thing. And it's a huge problem. Let me give you some statistics that are just heartbreaking, eye-opening, and rev it's a revelation. The average age of pornography exposure today in America is age 11. I can tell you I was exposed when I was uh, between ages 10 and 11. It took me on a journey for the next 10 years of battling and when I came to the Lord, even trying to get free of it. Got, I've got quite a story with that. I'm one of those statistics. It happened when I was 10 or 11. By the age of 14, 94% of everyone will be exposed to it by age 14. You ever wondered why? I mean, we're carrying around a device that has access to everything. Come on, church. 91.5% of men and 60.2% of women admit online 
to have, in a survey to have had either pictures, videos, or written pornography exposure. I mean, these numbers are staggering, aren't they? In fact, don't look around right now. Look at me. Okay? We're in this together, and I'm prepared for the awkwardness of this. Don't make it awkward for your neighbor. These stats are crazy. 87% of Christian women admit to it. 68% of men attending church. I think the number's higher. That's just those that admitted it. 57% of divorces cite porn as an issue. Have you ever realized the divorce rate is so high and underneath of it, we never talk about one of the reasons why? 57% cite porn as an issue. Now, here's where it gets really uh, eye-opening. More than 50% of pastors view porn regularly. I knew a few years back that the statistic was about 37%. I was actually this spring riding in the cab of my truck with my son. And he goes, Dad, did you know that over 50% of pastors view pornography regularly? And I said, no, I didn't realize the number was that high now. And then without missing a beat, that young man, I'm so proud of him, he turned and looked at me and he said, how are you doing, Dad? <laughs> By God's grace, I was able to tell him, hey, I'm human. And, and I'll get to how we redirect our thoughts and how we do it. But I said, I, I'm free of it for, you know, since I was 21. Uh, by God's grace. But, but here's why, it's only the Lord, but here's why I say that. Those same, that same statistic, 50, over 50% of pastors, do you know that 57% of pastors uh, say it's a problem in their church and only 7% have a program for it? I wonder why. So we have a program for it that we want to share with you. We've been praying and preparing for this moment since last spring. I want to put something up for you. This is a QR code and a web page that we've developed for today, and it'll be available moving forward for love over lust. And, and what I want you to understand, I'm going to ask all of you so it's not awkward for anybody, pull out your phones, okay? Right? Everyone, like seriously, help your neighbor out. It's not for you. We know that. <laughs> you have no problems. It's for your neighbor, okay? So if you'll just pull it out so we all feel like we're in this together, Okay, And uh, when you go to this page, you're going to find an incredible, uh, th th the message from today will be there in the next couple of days. This is designed for you, but also to share with others. But here's what's underneath that. You're going to find a resource uh, called the Porn Free Course. This is by John Bevere. Uh, he's a great Bible teacher and author, and uh, I've gone through the entire course and it, it's there today for free and available to you. We want to get that out and get that available because we want to see people find freedom and wholeness. When this is revealed, we need to step into the light and get the help we need. Amen? So we have a program, and we are going there and allowing God to work and to move. Now, uh, the second step, so revelation, the second step is repenting. When God begins to reveal, we need to repent. Repent means I acknowledge my sin and I turn away from it towards the Lord and I turn a new direction. God is faithful to forgive our sins. 
Let, let me read to you uh, what 1 John 1, 7 through 10 says. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You see, the foot of the cross is the most level ground. All of us come to Jesus, sinners in need of a savior. And when we come to him and repent, he forgives us, he cleanses us, he washes over us, and he begins to move us forward into new life. So leaving lust in your dust, revelation, repentance, and then the third one, and this is where we need to really, the rubber hits the road. Uh, The third one is redirecting. You see, there are things that we have to learn to redirect. Our thoughts, the intent of our heart needs to be redirected. Think of it this way. God has created man and woman, male and female in his image. He's created beauty in our world. You're going to recognize a handsome man or a beautiful woman. That's going to happen. And we don't want to live in a place where we can't recognize beauty because that's God's creation. Can I get an amen on that? Okay. Here's the problem. When you recognize it and then in your heart and mind, you decide what you want to do with it. Oh, is that too much? And you begin to think about what you'd like to do next. That enters into what Jesus is talking about. You're committing, the intent of your heart is to commit adultery. So we have to learn to redirect. Another way of saying it, y'all, you need to learn to bounce. The thought comes in and I bounce to the next thing, right? You see, the thought may come, but what I do with the thought is what matters. So I bounce. What did Joseph do when Potiphar's wife literally threw herself at him? He bounced. He got out. He ran. So what does it look like for you to bounce and to redirect? Let me read to you 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, because there's power in God's word and our ability to redirect. He says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We need to acknowledge that if we haven't done this, we have to create new neural pathways, tear down strongholds, and have our mind renewed in the redirecting. This is sometimes a momentary thing with the spirit, and other times it's a journey of learning to redirect, especially if we've been living this way for quite some time. So he says, we have the power, the divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And this is the part I want you to see with redirecting and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take that thought and we go, nope, I'm going to bounce. I'm going to redirect it. Come on. Y'all are bouncing right now, aren't you? You're like, I'm out of here. Don't leave yet. There's two more things that you have to understand. 
revelation, repentance, redirecting, and then we get into what does it mean to remove. You see, Jesus said, cut off your hand. Cut out, tear out, gouge out your eye. It's hyperbole. He's exaggerating because what he's trying to do is emphasize that we need to be radical with sin. What did John Owen say earlier? Be killing sin or sin be killing you? And so Jesus is inviting us to remove the things that could get in the way. You can cut off your hand and still sin. He knows your heart. That's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 5. But what are the things that you need to redirect and then also remove? Let me read to you another uh, place where Jesus taught this. Mark chapter 9, verse 42 through 47. This idea of removing. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand, can you say hand? Hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot, let me hear you say foot. You got about half of you participating. I, uh, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye, let me hear you say eye. There you are. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. So eyes, hands, and feet. What does that mean? Are you willing to remove the things that you need to remove that your eyes are seeing or might wander into? Are you willing to remove the things that your hands might get themselves into? Are you willing to remove the things that your feet are walking towards and to turn a new way? This removal is significant. Let me get really practical with you. When my wife Cindy and I were first married, in our first six months of marriage, it was very challenging and difficult, largely because the level of what I had struggled with, with pornography prior to marriage, had not yet been known in a way that allowed us to experience God's grace. So we struggled as we worked through this. She would tell you the greatest birthday gift to this day, uh, right, honey? The great, she's right here. I mean, can't hide. Um, uh, the greatest gift that I gave her in our almost 22 years of marriage now was on that birthday when I came to her because I had realized that me watching football had become an issue. It was causing tension. Why? Because there's cheerleaders in commercials. Okay? So I came to her with a gift bag that birthday that had the cables. I'm old, y'all. The cables to the... Some of you don't even know what cables to a television are, right? (laughs) They exist. Look it up. I, I had the cables to the television and the remote in the gift bag. And I said, your love matters more than anything we're facing. So I'm going to remove this and allow God to enter in. That meant the world to her. It began to move in our marriage. Some of you are going, well, how, how long did you have to remove that, right? Um, that's going to be unique to every situation. Y'all, I watch football today though, okay? So it wasn't forever. But whatever you need to remove, are you willing to listen to the Lord and to remove it? 
and to get really practical because God will bless that if you do. The very last one is then replacing. If you're going to remove things, Jesus actually talked about this, that if you remove an evil spirit, and you, it's like a house swept clean, and that if you don't replace it, then the enemy can come back. So if you remove it, you've also got to think about what are you going to replace that with? And I want to give you a couple of practical things that I believe will, uh, you, God will use in a mighty way. So if you look at this issue of replacing the lies, lust, and loneliness, what does it look like to replace the lies, the lust, and the loneliness? The first thing is we need to put God's word and grace into our life. When you put God's word into your life, your desires begin to change. When you put his grace into your life, it's, it's like it displaces the other things. It begins to help you to, to crucify your flesh and to not fall into those things. So his word is rich and it's available. Part of how uh, I was able in the final two years where it was literally a battle from age 19 to 21, I was in the word every day. And the more I was in God's word, the more he began to change how I viewed not just the Lord, how I viewed lust and pornography, I began to be repulsed by it. In addition to that, I began to see that the very people that I was actually in my past lusting over were sons and daughters created in God's image. That these were people that God loved, that he wanted to restore and redeem. That these were somebody's earthly Daughters, or, and, and, and in all of that, it begins to change, and, and that, that replacement displaces all the old stuff. But that happens as you get God's word and his grace in your life. Let me read to you Acts uh, 20, verse 32, that illustrates this out of the New King James. So now, brethren, I commend you to God into the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It's the word of his grace building us up, replacing and displacing all of the old stuff. You need his word in your life. Today will help. But I'm telling you, by Wednesday, you're gonna need his word again, probably by tomorrow in the world we live in. Anybody? So we've gotta find a way of getting that in our life to replace and remove. Second thing and last thing, is this idea of biblical community and serving on mission together. And you may not have saw that one coming, but if we are surrounded by ungodly community and destructive cultural lies, it would make sense that we continue to fall into the traps. Amen? So we surround ourselves with biblical community, believers that love the Lord and are there to spur each other on to encourage one another, to live the way Jesus calls us to. We're there to help each other when we're down, to pick each other up, to lift each other up. And then if we're serving on mission together, if you're using your gifts for God's glory, you're serving the way God designed you to, just practically speaking, you're gonna have less time to screw up. I didn't say it quite that way in first service. I kind of wish I would have. I felt like that came out even better. 
It's a reality. If we're serving on mission together, that's replacing some of the downtime and isolation time. And, and honestly, it shifts us from life is all about me to life is about him and sharing him with others. Let me read to you Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 to kind of wrap this up, this idea of biblical community and serving on mission together. It says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Last Wednesday, we had over 400 uh, adults, youth, and children here on site. We had other life groups meeting off-site. There is biblical community happening and available. One of the things that I feel strongly is God wants to invite all of us out of the cave, out of hiding, into the light, into biblical community, and to begin serving him together because that's where we're going to find freedom. That's where we're going to find wholeness. That's where we're going to get healthy and be a church that says, we're going to be killing sin because we aren't going to let it kill us anymore. Amen? Amen. So three questions to close here. And and here's the deal. Uh, There's an author, uh, Kyle Eidelman, that has this phrase and this book and teaching on aha. And basically the idea is, once we have awareness, we need honesty, and then we need action. And I want you to understand that God is calling us. He's revealing something to you. That awareness, the truth of his word, and that honesty is now the invitation for you and I to take action. To say, I'm going to take these steps to leave lust in the dust. So the first question, what is God revealing within your heart today? What is your aha moment that God is revealing and saying, here it is. Here's what it is for you. Secondly, what do you need to do to leave lust in the dust? As you look at those five steps, it might be that you need to say, okay, this week I'm going to lean into all five and get this moving and get following my God in a new way. Third, will you replace lies, lust, and loneliness with God's love today? We're going to move into a time of responding. The song that we're going to sing is called More Than Able. And and that's such a perfect selection, isn't it? That that whatever you're feeling, whatever you're facing, you're not going to face it alone. God's grace is here for you. Jesus' love is here for you. Don't live in shame or guilt. Stay stuck. Come out into the light and know he is able. You may have dealt with this for years. It may be a new thing that you didn't even know it was a problem. You just thought, well, we both consented to it, so we've been doing it. Whatever God is revealing today, he is more than able as you follow him to walk you into wholeness, to walk you into health, to walk us into real freedom. Amen? So I'm going to pray over us. If you'll stand, if you're able. About to sing a song, More Than Able. Kind of feels fitting, right? I'm going to pray over us. And then this whole front area, from kneeling bench to kneeling bench, is available. Whether you want to praise, whether you want to worship, whether you'd like prayer, we have a team. We would love to pray over you. Uh, Let me say this. I didn't say this in first service, kind of like we did with the phones. 
Can we just agree that if somebody comes forward, it isn't necessarily because they have that issue? That's between them and the Lord. Let's not stigmatize this moment. Let's create freedom that says, whoever comes forward, it could be for anything, and we're just gonna celebrate what the Lord is doing, amen? So let me pray us in. Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you, God, that you allow us into a love like no other. You invite us out of lies. You invite us out of loneliness. You invite us out of lust. That you invite us into victory and that you are more than able. So Father, I just pray that your spirit and grace would be poured out for those that may be coming forward with something just even between you and them right now. I pray that your grace would be poured out. In relationships, may your grace be poured out. We thank you that, Jesus, you are more than able. Have your way with this time. In Jesus' name, amen.